today's episode of Still To Be Determined, we're going to be talking about how the future looks and how it sees. Hmm. Hmm. Hi, everybody. As usual, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And I'm just generally curious about technology. And luckily for me, my brother is, yes, that Matt of Undecided <laughs> with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing on this, for me, surprisingly snowy weekend? For me, surprisingly not snowy weekend. The snow just completely dodged us. Ooh. Yes. We here, and by we, I mean literally me and my partner, we did not know it was going to snow. So we spent all day the day before the snow thinking, wow, it's cold outside. I wonder why. And then the next day we woke up and we had about six to eight inches of snow and we were both well, like, how did this happen? <laughs> well, for me, the funniest part for me, Sean, is about, I don't know, six weeks ago or so, it was right around the new year, I got a robot snowblower to mm -hmm. test out. Yes. Super excited to test this thing out. And we had a bunch of snow before it arrived. And now it's arrived. It's all set up. It's ready to go. And we keep like massive mm -hmm. snowstorm coming to the Northeast. And at the last second, it like turns slightly Southeast and it completely misses us. It's like, we're getting like no snow. Right. <laughs> I can't test the stupid thing out. It's the, it's the old cliche of it won't rain if you have your umbrella. Yeah. So what you need to do is just make sure you carry your robot snowblower with you wherever you travel. I'm going to Florida in a couple weeks, Sean. Pack <laughs> don't it. think that's going to work out. <laughs> Pack it. You don't want to know what will happen if you don't take it. <laughs> As I usually like to do when we start our episodes, we like to jump into the mailbag and see what we can find from previous episodes. And I spotted this one in the comments from episode 203. This relates back to our discussion, once again, about robots. Keeps coming up. Matt and I keep talking about it, and it's making me think, maybe, Matt, you need to do a full-blown episode on robots. Robots. Let's do it. Yes. But this one's from Animaniac, who wrote, as a software engineer, I may see the whole humanoid robots topic from a different perspective. It's all about the user interfaces. At the moment, a huge part of the world is designed with user interfaces that are optimized for humanoid forms. So we either change those interfaces, like we already do in many cases, allowing digital interfaces for smart homes, or we designed the middleman as literally that, an artificial man. It is well prepared to interact with all the interfaces that are designed for human use, from using light switches to ironing clothes. It is also well prepared to interact with you at, with us as we also have interfaces to interact with other humanoid actors, be it physical or psychological. I really yeah. liked this comment. Thank you, Animaniac, for that. That is a really Spot interesting insight into what is driving this. Because from my perspective, there's always that missing link of like, if this isn't the fastest solution to telling a thing, get me a cup of coffee, why build a humanoid thing? And yep. that's the perfect solution to that question. So thank you for that. As, as a shout out to anybody that's listening or watching this, if anybody knows anybody inside of Boston Dynamics or inside of Tesla, <laughs> I would love to be able to get a little tour of behind the scenes of what they're doing. Um, I've been trying to get to Boston Dynamics for a while now, and it's it's really hard <laughs> to get in. I can imagine. If yeah. for no other reason than they are building robots that look like it will just drop kick you over the building. It just, yes, those robots yeah. 
a, that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball game. <laughs> that robot's not getting you a cup of coffee. No. That robot is storming the building. <laughs> from another earlier episode from 204 on our discussion about China's solar panel farm expansion, there were lots of comments that revolved around our discussion of China's approach and our repeated statement of like, we're not endorsing China as yeah. a uh, organization, as a nation, as a government that is in, that is pushing for these things and making these decisions. And I wanted to make clear just as a like wide brush across this subject, the reason we remind our audience that we're not endorsing any country or political approach to any new tech China, like every nation, including the United States, is a particular set of circumstances, some which some of which are contested or controversial. And we don't want to give the impression that we're arguing that they are better or any one nation's or approach is better. We try to take the approach of an apples to apples situation and the best tool for that job. So in some circumstances, we're going to talk about a context that is not widely accepted, or we're going to talk about a context that is, has a lot of moving parts around it that we aren't going to focus on. And that's why Matt and I will repeat the caveat of, we're talking about a circumstance here. We're talking about a set of decisions that are being made and we aren't endorsing the approach or the, even the decision itself. We're just talking about the technology that is being applied. Yep. Matt, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah. I actually had a, a patron reach out to me with a very thoughtful response as to like, he thought I stepped in it in that video of like, you, you said you're not a geopolitics channel, but you'd like open the door with all the kind of stuff that you said in kind of a blase way. Um, I would want to say, yeah, that's a kind of a learning lesson to me of maybe I was a little too flip in the undecided video about how I kind of glossed over the BRI and like China's human rights issues. I probably shouldn't have even brought it up uh, but mm -hmm. I brought it up because it was kind of like, I just wanted to acknowledge of like, yeah, there's controversies around China, but that's not what I'm talking about here. It's really just mm -hmm. this, this specific thing that they're doing with this technology. So for me, I'm, I've kind of taken something away from it of like, okay, I, I, I get it. You know, <laughs> this is, yeah. I knew Ch China is a very um, special thing to talk about. And we have, to, I have to be very careful about how I talk about China and other potentially other countries and things like that. And for my channel, I try to try to be objective when I'm talking about this stuff. And so I need to make sure that I'm not saying things in a flip way that makes it sound like I'm just kind of like, yeah, throwing that off to the side. Um, I yeah. gotta be very cautious about that. And I appreciate I also, all the feedback too. Yeah. And I would also add to that, like Matt and I also take it seriously regarding all contexts. And that includes the United States where mm -hmm. the United States is not the cowboy riding on the horizon with the white hat. We also understand that technology may touch certain aspects of our lives that are highly debated right now, mm -hmm. everywhere, globally, including the United States. And th the arguments for uh, AI is going to take jobs. The idea that uh, use of automated security software may violate human rights. These are serious subjects. And Matt and I do not take them uh, flippantly. We do not want to respond to them in that, in that way. And I just wanted to let the audience know this is not something that he and I are ignoring or taking for granted that everybody is on the same side in looking at these issues. So that's just kind of a blanket response to that subject. Now on to Matt's most recent video, which is 
why everyone is wrong about the Apple Vision Pro, including me, from February 13th, 2024. This was, of course, an early Valentine's to all of you viewers and listeners out there. As Matt thought, I know what they'll like. No, it's not roses. <laughs> it's a discussion of the Apple Vision Pro. So, Matt, the the video, you move through everything from its physicality, what it's like mm -hmm. wearing it, how it feels, all the way through applications. And you do a very good job, I think, of in that overview of touching all those, all the different bases. I am curious if you were to rank those different aspects from most successful to least successful, however many categories, however many, of, however many topics you want to break it down into, how would you grade the different parts of it from usability applications, the physicality of it? Like which one of those is the best aspect of this new device? For me, the best aspect of this device is the, just the basic UI human interaction when you're using it. It is extremely impressive that this is a version one product and it's doing something that other headsets are not doing with the whole like lobster, like I'm clicking, I'm tapping on things like that whole thing <laughs> where typical Apple fashion, they came with the iPhone and it was like, oh, it doesn't have a keyboard. It's going to be a failure. And this one, here's a headset without controllers of some kind. It's just your hands. They're trying to make it as approachable and human as they possibly can. It's impressive what they've done. Um, it's definitely further than what Meta's got or anybody else has got right now. And those platforms, you know, are going to be <laughs> integrating mm -hmm. more and more features just like this. Um, Competition is a great thing. So for me, I would give it like a, a B plus or an A. I wouldn't give it an A plus because mm -hmm. there's definitely issues that they have to iron out there. Mm -hmm. um, it's good, but not perfect. Um, the other aspects of it that I think are kind of like an A plus is just like from a media consumption device. It's in, it's astonishing. Like Sean, just last night, <laughs> last night, I watched Dial M for Murder, Alfred Hitchcock's film, which he was forced to film that movie in 3D. And it was never actually released fully in 3D from what I understand because 3D, the trend of 3D at that time in the 50s had waned. So by the time it came out, I think they only did a limited run of it in 3D and it was 2D for everybody else. And then it's never been accessible for us to see the way it was originally filmed mm -hmm. until it was like released on Blu-ray a few years ago where they put out the 3D version, which who has 3D TVs anymore? So still couldn't see it. And now it's on the Apple TV plus I, I, I purchased it for like 10 bucks and watched it last night. And it was like amazing. It was really cool to see a movie from the fifties shot in actual 3d. Like it was, it was beautiful. It, it added some wonderful texture to the movie that I had not experienced before. So it's like, for me, the media consumption aspect of this, uh, watching TVs and movies in it is just, it's, it's, it's amazing. So for mm. me, that's like an A plus, um, the other stuff is where it starts to fall down. Um, right. right now because it's so early days. The app store doesn't have a ton of apps in it. There's not a what you might call a killer app. There aren't any killer apps available quite yet. Mm -hmm. So for that, that's kind of where it's like, you can tell that this is a 1.0 product and it's going to take a while for the ecosystem to build out and more apps to show up and more use cases start to fill out. So that's kind of where it kind of falls down in the short term. So would you say that's a passing grade, a failing grade or an incomplete? Oh, like on the app store stuff, I would say it's incomplete. Like it's too early to judge. You can't judge it now. 
Right. It's, it would be like judging the, when they launched the app store for the iPhone, I don't know about you, Sean, you know, you're, I said this before, you're not a Luddite, but you're also right. on the cutting edge. Right. As soon as the app store was available, I remember vividly, it was such an exciting time because it was like, I was checking the app store, no joke, every day. Like what new apps are in the, uh, the new list? What new apps are in the new list? Trying to see what people were coming out with, what kind of exciting new um, interaction schemes where people were discovering for this, this platform. And it was like, for me as a user interface designer, I was like eating it up. It was like, it was like candy. I was like, just couldn't stop consuming mm -hmm. like every day, checking what's new, what's new, what's new. We're doing the same thing with this, like every day I'm mm. popping in there. Okay. What's, what's in the new column of, of the app store? Oh, let me download that and check it out. Oh, that's interesting. That's a new thing. I didn't think of somebody doing. So it's, it's right. really kind of cool and fun, but because it's so early days, you can't grade it yet. It's like, we have to give it six months or a year to see what the indie developers come out with. And then in year two and year three is when the big developers hopefully will really start to come out with stuff. And like, at that point we can really start to give it a grade. So I would give it an incomplete on that. I'm laughing to myself about the idea of that sort of focus on what's new, what's new, what's new in the development of new tech. It moves so quickly now that you literally can be, this product is new on the market and over a period of yep. weeks and months, you literally see the, the new technology sprinkling into the store connected to that and thinking, what would it have looked like if people had been like that with like the Model T? <laughs> like the first release of a car and every yeah. day they're, they're going up to the car shop and like, what's new in the car shop? Ooh, mirrors, like <laughs> <laughs> windshield wipers, <laughs> windshield wipers and a windshield. Ooh. <laughs> and what about the wearability, the physicality of it? Do you give that also an incomplete because you think there's room no. <laughs> for improvement or do you really think like this is kind of what it's going to be? Oh, there's definitely room for improvement. This thing needs to get lighter. It needs to get smaller. That's going to be version two, version three, version four. Um, for the one that we have in our hands today, I would give it like a B minus, B maybe, for wearability and comfort because it is noticeably heavy. You you notice it. Like when I put the MetaQuest 3 on my head, that thing feels like it's made of air compared to this. Even though it's only like something like 150 grams or something like that lighter, it's it's not like... It still has weight, but it feels much lighter than this. So when you mm -hmm. have that on your head, you notice it a little bit less, but it's not uncomfortable. It's just that it's, you notice the weight. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that I kind of give this one a little bit of a, uh, I didn't put this in the video, is the eye strain issue. I've noticed with this, if it's sitting in a slightly different position than it normally sits in, I'll start getting eye strain. Yeah. Or these have to, these have to, um, the lenses have to adjust for your pupillary distance. And if the pupillary distance is just a little bit off, you'll get eye strain. I've noticed that on other headsets too. And other set headsets sometimes have like a little dial that you have to manually dial it in. Um, this one's automatic. So I've noticed that sometimes I have to go into the settings, do the automatic adjustment feature, lock it in, and that solves the problem. So there are times like when I was watching Dial In For Murder, halfway in, I was kind of like, ooh, I'm getting a little bit of a headache. And then I just did the readjustment and I adjusted it back on my face where it felt more like where it normally sits. And then there was no problem after that. So it's like right. stuff like that really needs to get kind of like better yeah. because you know, there's gonna be lots of people that put it on and don't know to try those things out. And they may just be, oh, this is garbage. It's giving me a headache. Take it off. Yeah. Um, so they have to get better about that. 
do you think it would be worth when you get it on and have it in the spot where you're like, this is the sweet spot, take a black magic marker and just outline <laughs> just trace on your it. face and trace <laughs> yes. it so that you get it. And then next time you don't you have to think about it. You just need to line it up with get, that. Get it tattooed. Get it tattooed. Get Very it tattooed. Nice. There you go. Yeah. That's what this yeah. channel is all about. Solutions. That's right. There were some comments on this video that caught my eye, including this one from Jason Bryant, who wrote in to say, you know, the cliche of kids in the car asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Imagine the opposite. Every five minutes, the dad says, okay, we're here. And the kids say, dad, the sign says we're 200 miles from Disneyland over and over again without ever quite reaching Disneyland. <laughs> this is what VR has been in my entire life. Incremental improvements accompanied by press releases declaring revolutionary advancements and never quite getting there. So do you think this is actually now, as you say in the video, we might be in the future and not quite recognize it as such. Is this the product Ooh. or is this now the entry of this kind of product? that marks a change in what it would mean to use a computer? Uh, kind of like, a, it's gonna sound like a cop-out, but it sounds like, it's kind of like what I said in the video. I kept, I kept saying it's all a matter of perspective. It really does come down to what you are trying to solve by using this kind of device. And this is the, I think we're right now, and I'm counting the MetaQuest 3 in this, so it's not just about the Vision Pro. I think we are at that stage right now where we're at the turning point where spatial computing is actually starting to become a thing now, where before it was more of a tchotchke, uh, a, a little oddity, a little um, toy that it's like you could jump into this virtual world for a little bit, play a little game, and then come back to reality. We're start with um, I think what Apple's doing that's different is Apple has an ecosystem around it that Meta does not. So it has a very kind of huge, massive group of developers that are already developing applications for the Mac OS, iPhone, and iPad. And mm -hmm. all of them can very easily transition those apps into Vision Pro experiences because they've set up this whole kind of ecosystem way the way everything works. Um, Meta doesn't have that. So Meta is having a, a steeper hill to climb <laughs> to get from just being video games into that broader market where Apple is going to have a... Uh, a <laughs> less steep hill to climb. They still have a hill to climb, but mm -hmm. it's going to be more robust than what Meta can do. And they can get there faster than what Meta can do. And they have deeper pockets than what Meta has. So Apple's playing the long game here. But because there's these two mono, like behemoth companies that are both investing a lot of money in this, um, competition is going to really spur this stuff on. They're going to egg each other on with features and costs and what they can do and what partnerships they get and what kind of applications they bring forward. So I think we are at that point right now because Apple is now in this game and it's not just meta really. Um, I think we're going to start to see this really start to take off. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say this is, we're at that turning point, which is kind of where it's, it's hard. You can't really judge it quite yet because it's kind of like the, it's like the first day, the first, like this style of phone was released. Like the iPhone It's like, we're right, right at that point. We have to wait five years to see how it actually starts to kind of like meld and mature. Do you think a part of that is that Meta is approaching this from a social media aspect and a connectivity 
perspective, whereas Apple is coming at it from the tech perspective, which maybe has wider doors for various sectors that they don't want to or have a hand in. So you want to do animation or you want to do gaming or you want to do blueprint design or you want to do 3D modeling or you like Apple is just kind of like, here you go, have at it. Whereas Meta is like, how do we use this to connect people to people? Because that's their modus operandi. Do you think that that plays a part in this? That's, that's, that kind of goes into something I had been thinking myself, which was Apple is coming at this from a computer. This is a computer point of view. Like, yeah. What do we do with computers? That's why they called it spatial computing. And I think spatial computing is a much better term than AR VR. Um, AR VR, it's, it feels like that's the high level description of what this stuff is. And then a level below that is spatial computing. Meta's approach, I mean, if you go back into the history of what Oculus is, they bought Oculus. Oculus, the whole point of the, their VR headset, it was gaming. It was all about yeah. gaming. The original company was made up of gamers. Gaming was number one. It was all about creating virtual reality and playing games in it. That's the origin of what it spawned from. And that's yeah. still very much the roots of that product. Gaming is strong on the Oculus headsets, and then it can mm -hmm. do other things. You're talking so, like Yoda now. <laughs> <laughs> Gaming is strong on the Oculus headset. Strong he is. Uh, it's it is heavy you, on my face. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, you can see the roots of where it came from. Yeah, it's it's very much a gaming first that can do other stuff. It's like the Xbox console or the PlayStation. They don't just do video games anymore. You can watch YouTube and buy movies and listen to music. And there's all these other things it can really kind of do. It's the same thing with the Oculus is that it, it can do screen sharing off your computer with some hoops you have to jump through. It can do other things. It can do hand tracking in a very kind of weird clunky way, but it can do it. Um, so it's like, it's kind of doing the same things, but it's kind of trying to still bust out of its origins where Apple is coming at it from the other way where it's, it's a computer. How do people use computers? What kind of things do they want to do computers and then use the developing community to lean into that. And then, oh, by the way, you can also play video games. Like right now on the <laughs> vision pro, there is no virtual reality game you can play on it right now. None. Right. And I find that fascinating. And that just kind of shows you. They're coming at it the same problem. They're coming at it from two different directions, and they're going to collide in the middle at some point. Um, but it's it's just very two two different very different tacks. And I think Apple's tact is more broadly appealing, yeah, than the gaming first tact. So I think that's why I was saying Meta is going to have a steeper hill to climb because they have to bust out of that. If they don't have the like the whole screen sharing with the Vision Pro with your Mac. That can be done, but I'm telling people that kept saying this to me in the comments, it's not the same thing. <laughs> it's not the same thing. It's very, very different in how you get it set up and what you can actually do when you're in it. Um, but it is possible to do that, but because they don't own Windows, because they don't own the operating system, it's not this, it's not baked into the OSs that you can just do this stuff seamlessly and it works in a very integrated way. It's, it's a series of boxes that they're having to create tethers between where on Apple's side, it's all just, it's all just kind of one big mishmash together. It's really fascinating about right. the two different approaches they're taking. And that's why Meta is going to struggle a little bit as they yeah. try to branch out. That's why I referred to it as like how wide open are the doors? 
and it just feels like Apple sounds like they're like opening the doors and saying, good luck, like come on in and play in here. Whereas Meta famously had their PR stunt blow up in their face where it was like, your avatars have legs now and demonstrating yes. how the legs can move and like as you jump around and move around. And then it turned out that was all artificial animation that had been put in on top of a VR display. So it was faked. They faked the legs so that they could tell you that you have legs now. And when you pull back from that, not only did that blow up in their face, but I was left in that entire discussion. I was standing on the side saying like, why are the legs even important? Why is that the selling feature? Why is yeah. you in a virtual environment having legs, the thing that's supposed to make me want to go in and be there. And it feels like what you've been describing, their roots run deep into gaming and the avatar and your virtual reality, your virtual self in this virtual world. It's almost like they don't realize they can't escape that thinking. Like, it's so baked mm -hmm. in at this point. Whereas Apple, the ad for Apple doesn't even say, look, you can pretend you're on this gorgeous beach. It's literally people sitting down and typing well, letters. So very different approach. It, but last week, I think it was last week, uh, Zuckerberg came out with a post, I think it was on Instagram. It was a, basically a video of him. <laughs> and I put this in gigantic air quotes, reviewing the Vision Pro. Um, yeah, here... Here's a I bet CEO he had, I bet he from had a competitive good objective company. standpoint. Yeah. yeah. Nice objective statements. He did bring up some really good points in his feedback, but he his video was essentially him coming out and saying, Congratulations, Apple, come to the party. But he was clearly being very defensive because there's a lot of hype around this right now. And he was basically saying, Me too. Like the video mm. may the video quality may be excellent on the Vision Pro, but it has a lot of blurring. We don't have that on the MetaQuest. Like there's so many things about the MetaQuest 3 that are great that are way better than the Vision Pro. And he's not wrong. There are aspects of the Vision of the Quest that is better than the Vision Pro. But his whole video came across to me as extremely defensive. And I thought it was a mistake for him to make that video. I think all he had to do, he could have dunked on Apple every single day just with advertisements that are Vision Pro, 3,500 bucks, Quest 3, seven times less. You know what I mean? Yeah. He could just hammer that because if you think about it, Meta is the 800 pound gorilla in this space. They're the big dog. And so when he was being very defensive and hitting on the Vision Pro, he's basically punching down. He really is punching down. And it's like, if he's the leader, he should act like the leader and just not even respond to it and just be like, yeah. hey man, welcome to the party. We could get seven quests. You could get seven quests for the cost of that one thing. Which one yeah. are you going to buy? It's like, that's all he had to do. But the fact he came out being very defensive, I think it was just a big like marketing mistake. And they keep making those mistakes, like with the legs and all that kind of stuff. I don't think they quite get it. That's one of the reasons I think that Apple's approach is interesting because the, the whole part of the legs response to you is they're trying to make it more, make you feel connected. Because when you're in that virtual space and you just see floating torsos and heads, it's really kind of disconcerting and weird, like this uncanny valley. So if you have legs, things feel rooted and it feels more your, your human lizard brain. is like, oh, okay, I get it. That's what they're trying to go for, which is the right thing to do. They're trying to get it to that connected space. Apple's whole choice of what they did with this thing, including the creepy ass eyes that they put on the front of this thing that don't work. <laughs> first thing, it was a fail. This thing is a failure on the front. Um, 
Apple's whole point was they're trying to make this thing more human. They're trying to address that too, of like mm -hmm. everything, their, their thing is augmented first, like mixed reality first, putting your eyes in the front so that it's not weird for the people in the room with you. Because I can tell you like, but my, my wife, when I'm wearing any of these headsets and I'm talking to her, She's like, she's can like, you see get me? Out can of you here. hear me? She's like, it's it's, it's unclear because <laughs> yeah. our human brain wants to see eyeballs and make a connection so we can have that social connection. Apple's trying to address that to make this more accessible, not just the person using it, but the people that are around the person that's using it. Right. And Meta isn't even trying that, but with the legs, that's them kind of going recognizing, yeah, this human thing needs to get figured out because it's freaking people out. So it's both of these companies trying to, again, solve that same problem in very different ways. And one's a little more eloquent about how they're doing it. And the other one's just kind of like fumbling around and tripping all yeah. over themselves. Right. I really like the idea of a marketing campaign, which is appealing directly to the lizard brain. Like, <laughs> you've got legs. Don't worry about it. You've got legs. <laughs> yes. oh, oh, where are my legs? Where are my legs? Well, thank you everybody for your comments on Matt's video. As you can tell, it spurred on quite a bit of conversation here. And that was just from one comment. So like jump <laughs> into the comments here. Let us know what you thought about this conversation. Do you have any questions for Matt that I didn't ask? Keep in mind, I have not actually put these on my head, so I can't answer any questions, but I'm curious. Does anybody in our audience have a use case that they think they themselves would want to jump in with, with this new tech? Somebody in the comments pointed out that they are a test engineer, a non-destructive test engineer, and that they would love a device like this that could give them the inner workings, basically the inner blueprints of a device that they're testing without having to open it up. They could actually see, okay, here's where this gear is. Here's where this device is. And how is it all working? as they're studying the, the device working. That kind of thing is fascinating to me. That kind of application of this new tech, not in a home environment. I'm sitting on my sofa watching a movie, but I'm oh. using it at work. That's, I, I think that's fascinating. Yes. On that, on that note, there was a lot of, I can't remember if it was an X or Mastodon or I don't know. I'm all these Twitter like things are all the same to me and I'm on all of them. Uh, but I got, had a back and forth with somebody. It might've been an X. Um, where they were hammering home of like the micro, you didn't even talk about the Microsoft HoloLens. They broke the ground on a lot of this stuff, the HoloLens this, HoloLens that. I saw that also in the comments on YouTube, a bunch of that. And one, I didn't bring it up because this was a video review about the Vision Pro. So that's why I didn't talk about it. Right. But Microsoft did do a lot of stuff. The stuff that you just brought up, Microsoft HoloLens starts at 3,500 bucks, goes up to above $5,000. And it's only really meant for factories and businesses. It's not really sold to consumers at all. Like you as a consumer probably could get your hands on it and there's nothing you can really do with it. Like it's very limited in what you can do. Like, oh, I could write a Word doc. You know, I could connect it to Windows and do things. But it's like beyond that, there's really not a rich app ecosystem because it's meant for enterprise. Um, but it does exactly that kind of stuff. Like mm. if you go to their website, it's all about warehouses and employees that have hard hats wearing these things and they're walking around a factory they're walking around a warehouse and then there's like floating signs next to all the boxes that show you the contents of what's in it or like all that kind of stuff really really cool stuff um but that kind of um business level thing is what this could easily also do and it's the same mm. price point <laughs> as yeah all the lens so it's it's i just find that 
use case fascinating of like the blueprint idea that the commenter brought up. I agree completely. That's it's a to me that seems like the initial killer application for this is business. And then as the price drops of the Vision Pro, it'll become more consumer level. So jump into the comments. Let us know if you can think of any use cases from your life that you think this would have an application for. Or do you see use cases where you would shy away from this entirely, where you would be terrified of it? Do you want to see people on a construction site wearing these walking on high beams? That sort of thing. (laughs) Jump into the comments and let us know. You can also leave a review wherever it was you found this program. You can go back there, leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and please do share it with your friends. Those are three easy ways to support the program. And if you'd like to directly support us, click the join button on YouTube or go to stilltbd.fm, click the become a supporter button. It allows you to throw some coins at our heads. We appreciate the welts. And as long as it doesn't damage our VR goggles, we'll be very appreciative. All of those are great ways to support the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time to listen or watch. And we'll talk to you next time.